Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. My name is Dr. Mark Eatonson. I'm a licensed psychologist specializing in the treatment of pathological narcissism and related disorders. So I apologize for the gap between the last episode and this one. Uh, like most people this time of year, I've been really busy, but I wouldn't really be telling the whole story if I just left it at that. Uh, in all honesty, uh, making this content gives me anxiety sometimes, uh, and as a result, I find myself sometimes avoiding it. Uh, I have lots of worries, um, not making content that's accurate enough, uh, not making content that's accessible enough, uh, discovering after the fact that there's some flaw in the video or the audio, uh, etc. But my main worry is really about criticism. Part of me is always aware of just how charged the topic of narcissism can be. And I worry that somehow, somewhere, the wrong person will watch one of these videos, misunderstand the content, and then post it to some forum where hundreds or even thousands of like-minded individuals uh, will decide to pick up their torches. And I share this feeling with you because it's on topic with today's episode, which is social anxiety. I have no idea if my fantasy of accidentally stumbling into widespread internet hate uh, is plausible or even possible. After all, my channel's quite small. But the likelihood of such a thing happening isn't really the point, because we're talking about feelings and fantasies here. And by the way, when I use the word fantasy, I'm not using it in the typical sense to mean um, imagining something positive. I'm actually using it in the analytic sense, uh, where it refers to something that's conjured up in the mind that could be positive or negative or neutral. And in this case, my fantasy is definitely negative. So my negative fantasy is about humiliation, and it's about ostracization. And these are the sorts of fears that form the basis of social anxiety. Now, in my psychotherapy work with patients, I often encounter this kind of anxiety. It's actually common to a number of psychological conditions and disorders. But today I'll be speaking specifically about social anxiety in pathological narcissism and NPD. The idea that narcissists would be socially anxious might seem counterintuitive. After all, according to the DSM, narcissists are supposed to be grandiose, exhibitionistic, uh, and preoccupied with fantasies of power, brilliance, uh, perfection, and beauty. How could such an individual ever really worry that other people wouldn't like them uh, or wouldn't want them around? But as I've often discussed on this podcast and in many of my other videos on the Heal NPD YouTube channel, the DSM doesn't tell the whole story about narcissism. And if you're interested in a much longer and more detailed take on that topic, please see the two-part video series that I made called What is Narcissism? Essentially, the DSM omits the vulnerable symptoms of NPD, and those are the symptoms that actually ground it as a disorder, um, because they're about distress and dysfunction. Those are the experiences that cause people with NPD and pathological narcissism to seek treatment. One of them is often social anxiety. And when you really think about it, it makes sense that narcissists might be socially anxious, common wisdom on the matter notwithstanding. The narcissistic personality style is built as a defense around deeply held fears of shame and humiliation. And a core belief of many narcissists is that they need to be perfect in order to be loved. Sometimes this belief is conscious, but perhaps more often it's unconscious. And this core perfectionism is based on early and traumatic experiences of rejection, neglect, being chronically misunderstood or mischaracterized, being used to gratify a parent or caregiver's narcissistic strivings, feeling hated, unwanted, or worthless uh, when not living up to the unrealistic standards imposed by their family of origin. Essentially, narcissists were forged in the kiln of the ever-present threat of catastrophic rejection. Their entire personality style is constructed to defend against ever having to experience the primitive agony 
to use a term coined by Donald Winnicott, of being discarded by caregivers who either couldn't or wouldn't empathize uh, with their uh, child's emotional needs. So when you've built your identity around the idea that you're only as good as you appear or only as good as you perform, and when your experience has taught you that there's no safety net of supportive or empathic care to catch you if you tumble into the chasm below, the stakes can feel extremely high. There can be immense pressure to not only be accepted and liked, but to actually go above and beyond. Uh, narcissists often feel pressure to be celebrated, admired, idealized, because to them this represents the ultimate confirmation of their value and worth, and the ultimate safeguard against the loss of self that comes from rejection. Such high pressure to perform uh, often leads to exquisite sensitivity to social rejection. And this is often the paradox of narcissistic grandiosity, because it may appear that the narcissist is really convinced that they truly are extraordinary, when it's actually uh, more often the case that they have a core sense that if they aren't extraordinary, then in some way they will cease to exist. Such pressure is inherently destabilizing. The personality often can't manage the ever-present existential terror and threat of the loss of self. And the result is often a constant cycling between periods of depression and compensatory hypomania. And if you haven't heard that term before, hypomania is a period of heightened energy and activity and expansive mood that can often lead to disruptions in the person's life and relationships. Pathological narcissism is sometimes actually mistaken for bipolar disorder, but in narcissism, the swings between depression and hypomania are caused by intrapsychic dynamics and the high pressure to perform. So I've worked with many patients who describe the feeling that they can walk into any room and instantly become the center of attention, seizing the spotlight through sheer force of charm and charisma. And such experiences of being uh, on become the high that narcissists chase. There can be a desperation for it, which leads to trying too hard and forcing a situation. And narcissists who are caught in this cycle will sometimes climb so far out on a limb socially that uh, it breaks under their own weight. These same patients who talk about uh, this high of being on socially will also talk uh, about the pain of feeling like in some essential way they are outside the human experience, uh, of the burden of always having to watch themselves and always having to gauge how well they're doing, of not ever feeling like they can relax or let themselves truly be in the moment, always the object of their own scrutiny or the imagined scrutiny of other people, uh, they end up feeling sort of like the main character in Sartre's existential novel, uh, Nausea. And if you haven't read that, um, I, I highly recommend it. It's a fantastic description, um, a first-person description, of the feeling of uh, fragmentation of self and the loss of identity. So narcissism is built on the feeling that there are no safe objects. There's no reliability. Anyone could suddenly turn cold, rejecting, and unempathic at any moment. And it's therefore up to the narcissist to maintain a kind of social hypervigilance, they're always watching themselves to make sure that they're doing well enough to merit continued social acceptance and approval. And they're always watching others for even the slightest hint of rejection. Because in their mind, rejection is like the tumbling pebble on the mountainside that inevitably leads to the uh, catastrophic avalanche. So what can be done? If you're someone who identifies with what I've described here, how can you begin to address your social anxiety? Well, first, remember that knowledge is power. 
My former supervisor and mentor would always talk about what a difference it makes to be able to know about something that's happening inside of you. Perhaps up until now, the dynamics that I've described today were something that you knew about implicitly or unconsciously, but not something that you'd ever really been able to take a look at and parse out. Knowing about something is actually the first step to being able to do something about it. So really get to know your social anxiety. Start with the assumption that your anxiety is based on experience. Assume that it makes a kind of sense, that there's an internal logic to it. Assume that it's meaningful. Validate your own feelings. Don't dismiss them right off the bat as aberrant, irrational, or pathological. Doing so is often simply a way to re-injure yourself by abandoning the parts of you that need support. Remember, you've lived through something, and now you're becoming aware of the legacy of that experience. At the same time, don't assume that your feelings are an accurate reflection of reality. There are feelings, and there are facts, and they're not the same thing. Your sensitivity to feeling rejected might mean that you're more likely to be rejected, but it might not. Your feeling that someone doesn't like you might mean that they actually don't like you, but it also might not. I've worked with many patients who would mercilessly berate themselves for saying something at a party or a meeting or a get-together that they felt was cringy or embarrassing. They assume that their feeling of having said something embarrassing means that they actually did, and it also means that now they're somehow a bad object to everyone. In reality, people seldom notice, remember, or care about the little things that other people say or do. Remember, no one's paying as much attention to you as you are. Often, the feeling of social catastrophe is just that, a feeling. Understand that these are old feelings. They go way back. They're like old plumbing buried in the walls. You know, sometimes old plumbing makes noise. Sometimes it affects the water pressure. Um, so factor that into your narrative that you tell yourself about your social anxiety. Greet your concern about being disliked, rejected, or humiliated with compassion. Remind yourself that you're actually hearing from a very young part of you. These feelings go all the way back to childhood, possibly even very early childhood, before you could even talk when feelings could wash over your whole self and you didn't have any tools to keep yourself from being swept away. Try to have the same patience with yourself as you would have with a very small child. Talk to yourself as if you were that child. I know it can feel silly, but it actually works. When you've gotten good at making space for your feelings, at greeting them with compassion and understanding, and when you can recognize uh, the social anxiety that you feel as a reflection of early experience rather than a reflection of your actual worth or actual external reality, then you might be ready for the next step in dealing with anxiety, which is exposure. The best way to treat any anxiety is through exposure. We naturally want to avoid situations that make us feel anxious. And over time, this leads to something called generalization. We start by avoiding the thing that gives us anxiety. And then we start to avoid stuff that's associated with that thing. And eventually, we start avoiding things that are associated with the associations, etc. And this is how people go from a single panic attack to full-blown agoraphobia and not being able to leave the house. Uh, addressing anxiety involves intentionally confronting the situations that make us anxious.
We need to feel the anxiety. And then when we come out the other side, we can reflect on the fact that it didn't kill us. We survived. It was unpleasant, yeah, but uh, not fatal. And over time, our range of motion increases. So in some ways, that's what I'm doing by recording this episode today. I'm exposing to my anxiety. Um, every time I make one of these and then somebody tells me that it helped them, I get a little bit better at tolerating that anxiety. And every time somebody criticizes me online, uh, I'm able to reflect on the fact that I can survive people saying bad things about me. We all have our fears and our anxieties. Some people are terrified of dogs, others airplanes. Many narcissists are socially anxious, but some aren't. Many other people have social anxiety for reasons that have nothing to do with narcissism. Whatever burden you bear, try to greet it and yourself with compassion and understanding. Remember the difference between feelings and facts. Challenge yourself to increase your range of motion in the world rather than allowing your life to become narrow. Okay, so that's it for today. As always, let me know if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes. And until next time, take good care.